Our primary reading this morning is from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 15 through chapter 2, verse 10. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and a storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of Sheol, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank into the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates looked shot forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Pastor A.J. Hausman, and I am a Lutheran pastor, so you can forget everything I say. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, have, I serve part-time at St. Matthew's Lutheran Church over on King Street, as well as um, I am the host and pastor of the Bible podcast, 10-Foot Pole Podcast, Conversations About the Uncomfortable Bible. So uncomfortable Bible topics is something I kind of specialize in. And so if I make you uncomfortable today, then I've probably done my job. As oftentimes, it's the moments when we are uncomfortable that we learn and we grow. A favorite mentor of mine always says, sometimes you have to be uncomfortable to be in the right place. And this is how God opens our mind and teaches new and expanding things. So I was asked today to talk to you about how feminine is God? A famous quote, at least for theologians, if God is male, then therefore male is God. Famously said by pioneer feminist theologian Mary Daly. She shares with us that the structures that point to God as male have also created abusive church structures that oppress women and in fact hinder our ability to understand God by putting limits on God. Essentially by doing this, we put God in a box and use this box 
to justify the oppression of women. So whoever posed this question, I think that you are opening us up to a conversation that will help us to expand our understanding of who God is and how God interacts with God's created world and people. So let's dive in. The first time that I was invited to think of God as a woman was when I was in college. I was working at a church camp and I had gotten a mild concussion and I was laying in the nurse's cabin and in the middle of the infirmary room there's two twin beds and I was laying on one and my camp director was laying on the other to keep me company. Um, in case you don't know, if you're not familiar with these head injuries, when someone has a concussion, they're not allowed to go to sleep. You have to have them rest awake. And so he was doing just that. And as we laid there, we talked about God. Now, I was born and raised Lutheran, and my director was Catholic. And they're even a bit more heavier on that male language. So I was surprised when I heard him say, you know, I've always thought that God was much more of a woman than a man. He explained that God is loving, patient, kind, caring, always coming to us, always forgiving us, always showing us compassion, healing, and care, even if we don't deserve it. And I don't know any love that unconditional except for the love of a mother for her child. Right? I thought it was very beautiful. And then he added, and that Old Testament God is the definition of hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn. So maybe it probably still a little sexist, but. But this was the very first time that I was invited to see God from a female perspective. And whoa, did it open my eyes to who God really is. It felt so liberating to be able to expand my language for God and the way that I experience God because I experience God in a whole lot of non-masculine ways. I'm sure all of us do. But the first thing that we need to identify is what is feminine? Because y'all, God's probably not walking around in high heels with bright red lipstick, getting a mani and pedi in between their kids' soccer games. Or maybe they are. So our first problem when trying to identify how feminine in God is understanding the culturally acceptable forms of masculinity and femininity. Because that shifts from culture to culture and decade to decade. So what we may define as feminine, that is something in our culture that we deem socially acceptable for women to do, to act like, or to feel, is a moving target. And so often when preachers want to exemplify how feminine is God, they typically take two roads. One, they like to talk about the Holy Spirit, the advocate, this persona of God that is the only one often accompanied by female pronouns in the Greek and the Hebrew, Sophia or Ruach in Hebrew. And this works, right? Yeah, that's the easy one for folks to grasp. That is, God is three persons, God beyond genders, Jesus is male, the Holy Spirit is the female side of God. The second is what I like to call the classic Mother's Day sermon, where we quote Jesus talking about a gathering hen who takes her brood under her wing. Also a good one, 
And if you Google feminine images for God in the Bible, you will get many places in the Bible where we see this kind of image. Because that is the one thing that does always transcend across cultures to be feminine. Childbirth and child rearing is always notoriously attributed to feminine. I would like us to take even one step further down this discernment of gender, sex, and gender norms for God. Because God is indeed not a man. God is male and female and neither at the same time. Now to dive into this, there are two language things that we need to understand when tackling gender associations with God. The first is grammar. The Hebrew and Greek language um, are gendered, like Spanish, like una taza, a cup. In English, we just say a cup or the cup. But in languages like Spanish, French, and a lot of other languages, it has a gendered article. So the cup is somehow feminine, right? So if you really want to dive into ancient worldview and the patriarchal systems at play, I could go on a very long tangent on why you would almost find almost exclusively masculine grammatical articles for God. But it's not because that they believe God was male. In fact, they believe that God was neither male nor female. Gender queer or non-binary, as we would say these days. See, their God was often contrasted with the Greco-Roman gods who were male and female, but rather they had one all-inclusive God. That was indeed their big shtick, right? They had one God that could do all the things and was it all. So... The second thing that we have to look at in the language is the lexical use of masculine and feminine imagery. That is things like God the king or God the mothering hen. There are many of these images in the Bible that indeed speak of God in both masculine and feminine lexical imagery. And again, if you were to Google feminine image of God in the Bible, you will get several websites that will list all the places that there is lexical feminine imagery for God. God as a mothering hen. God as a nursing mother, like we read in 1 Peter today. God as a birthing mother. Lots of mother kind of images. That is, again, the one thing in femininity that seems to transcend uh, most cultures. The thing, too, with these lexical images that we have of God is that there is often cross-gendered grammar, such as a male God nursing a baby, a male God giving birth. And just, really, the audacity of the biblical authors to suggest such a thing and ascribe it to God, you'd almost think that they were indeed not as transphobic as some Christians today might have you believe. Everyone these days is obsessed with pronouns. Those that want to courteously use the right pronouns to extend, um, you know, small olive branch of hospitality. And then there are those on the other side of the aisle that are so transphobic that even talking about pronouns is a taboo. And often this position gets defended 
by abusing biblical literacy, literature to justify this transphobia. So our primary text for today, we read Jonah. And you may have thought, what the heck does Jonah have to do with about how feminine God is? You didn't hear any of that lexical imagery in there, did you? Mm-mm. Because something that you may have never noticed in reading Jonah's story is because you've never read it in Hebrew, that the fish that swallows Jonah is transgender. God is personified in the fish. The text says that God provides this fish. The fish fish is a savior from the drowning sea, a safe space, a womb, which is the Hebrew word that's used here that we translate as belly. Because the fish that swallowed Jonah is male, and the fish to whom he prays in the womb is a female fish. And then it's male again when it spits him up on shore. Again, you wouldn't notice that, right? So Jonah is praying in this womb-like environment as he gestates until he is ready for life outside the womb. And he is vomited or birthed out into the world, a new person ready to share God's message. Some say that this gender change in the fish here is not significant. It's a clerical error, obviously. Why would they do that? But it's in all the scripts. So did, like, all of the scribes error for hundreds of years? Or is it indeed significant that the gender of this fish is both personified as male and female characteristics in this story of how God interacts with God's messenger and shares his good news, their good news, her good news in the world? All right, I'm going to take us back a little further now. We're going to go to Genesis. Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27. You're going to be very familiar with it. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image. The word here for humankind is the Hebrew word Adam. Adam, that that sounds funny, like the word Adam. Believe it or not, Adam is not a formal name of this individual. Adam is the non-gendered first earthling that was created. And I say earthling because the Adam comes from the Adama, which is the earth, the dirt. So this Adam, honestly, the best translation is dirtling. God created the first dirtlings. God made Dirtlings in our image. Yes, God talks about themselves in the plural. According to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in God's own image. Male and female, he created them. We... Both male and female are created in the image of God. This means that the image of a woman, the image of a mother, the image of feminine is the image of God. But you're probably not uncomfortable yet, so I'm going to take it one step further. God is not just masculine or feminine. God is also trans because trans folks are also made in the image of God. The Genesis 1 creation story uses a literary device known Let me start that sentence over again. 
The Genesis 1 creation story uses a literary device known as a merism. A merism, for example, is like saying, we searched high and low. Now, this phrase doesn't mean that we only searched high and that we only searched in low places, but rather we searched everywhere. You with me? In the same way, God created the day and the night and the dawn and the dusk and the twilight and all those in-betweens. And God created the seas and the dry land and the marshes and the swamps and the puddles and the estuaries and all those other in-betweens. And God said, let us create them in our own image. God created them male and female and non-binary and intersex and genderqueer and trans and all the in-betweens. Now the Roman Catholic doctrine officially states that God is neither male nor female but transcends all gender and sex. And I don't know about you, but I've actually never been to a Catholic church that used feminine language for God. But technically, they say that. And conservative evangelicals double down as God as a man because, well, really their entire system is built on this style of theology where men have absolute power and authority over women. And well, if God is not a man, then that rips the rug right out from underneath everything they stand for. So I'll say this too, to disqualify all of those people and myself. Anytime that you take an absolute stance that the Bible says, this is clearly the way it is, you are wrong. The Bible is a collection of stories, histories, poems, songs, and letters written by hundreds of people over thousands of years and over thousands of miles in different places, cultures, and perspectives. It's not clear about anything. And it contradicts itself in many, many places. Deep breath, and that's okay. Do you know why? Because the Bible isn't a rule book. For those of you that have had the Bible bashed over your head as rules and were told there's something wrong about you and the Bible says so, well, beloveds, it's not a rule book. It is a companion for us to journey through this messy thing called life and it's to help us grasp a little fraction of who the God of creation is. God is a mother. God is a father. God is an advocate, a spirit, a guardian, a gardener, a cook, a laundress, a doctor, a birthing whale, and a perfect storm. God is everything and beyond what we can even comprehend. And by adjusting our language, we are not changing God. We are expanding our ability to know just a little bit more about who God is and what our relationship with God can look like. And my friends, this is liberating. 
When we allow God not to be confined by our gendered systems, we allow ourselves to see that God can show their true divinity in actually all people and all genders. And we allow ourselves to know God a little bit more and understand that God is not limited by us. But it is rather us who are created in this image of this expansive God. So you do you, and you pray to whatever gendered God that resonates with your heart. Because God is just that, and much, much more. Amen. Okay. So they were pretty nice to you today. <laughs> That's good. I'm new here. <laughs> um, are there better ways to think about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, instead of masculine terms? Um, probably. So here's the thing with the Trinity. Um, as, as a lot of my seminary professors would say, any way that you try to describe it is probably makes you a heretic because there's no great way because it is so beyond our understanding of how God exists in three persons that any way we describe it is always never quite grasps what the Trinity is. Um, can I tell you the best one that I ever saw of it? And this is going to sound really cheesy, but this guy had little kids. He took a three-sided fidget spinner and spun it. He said, that's the Trinity. That's my best one. I kind of like that one. <laughs> uh, why does God seem to be so often personified? If God is everything, then how is the question, who is God, all that much different from the question, what is everything? That's an incredibly philosophical question, and I'm impressed with the question itself. Um, I think for us in humans is we can only understand things in terms of what we already know. So when we try to grasp who is God, we have to do it within language and terms that we can understand. You know, because we only know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. But it's how we learn and kind of grasp new things through terms in which we already know. There's more to chew on there. <laughs> um, how would you respond to someone who says God is definitely male because Jesus calls God Father? Ooh, great question. Great question. Um, my response is, is that's, that is how Jesus experienced him, God, you know? That, that, that is, that's, you know, that's the way Jesus experienced God, but that's not necessarily the way we all experience God. And Jesus also had to, you know, do things in terms that he understood. Sounds good. That, is that right? <laughs> Are those succinct enough answers? I was told I to keep so. it brief, so. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, if y'all come up with more questions from, you know, thinking about it or watching this later, feel free to text them in and then we'll let Colin tackle them yeah, in the morning. Yeah, perfect. That's, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>